Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Har changing the play at the line of scrimmage. His back is Amir Abdullah. Now they're going to motion Moro to the right side. Three receivers that way for Carr. Ball in the far hash. Backs to throw. Giving ground. Throws downfield into the end zone. And it's broken up by the Colts by Stephon Gilmore. I believe that's Mr. Gilmore. Shotgun snap for Prescott. Deep drop. Great protection. Hangs in there. He's going to send it upfield. Picked off. Stephon Gilmore. This one for Mr. Gilmore. He was out there for the Colts and looked like his old self. Played excellent despite being older than 30 years old. And now the Cowboys swoop in. Get Stephon Gilmore as the Colts go through a little bit of a reboot there. This one for Mr. Gilmore. Boy, I didn't think Waterworks would be alive and well on this Wednesday morning in the studio. Mark Dykton with an emotional re-entry here to start this Wednesday. Mr. Gilmore. I have to put some dirt on it. Hell of a run. Hell of a one-year run for Stephon Gilmore here in Indianapolis. He is off to Dallas. That was definitely the fireworks yesterday. Don't be sad it's over. Be happy it happened. And you know what? He goes to chase a Super Bowl ring and... The Colts admit that the state of their franchise is in a very foreign place to this fan base. Good Wednesday morning to you. It is a chilly start here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton. Guys, I thought to myself driving in, I'm like, you know what? I consider toughness to be, you know, two longs donuts, two PBRs on a Friday morning. I mean, that to me is grit, grind. Trip Pagano will be very admirable. We're only 48 hours away from that. Yeah, and then I look to my left driving down, and I'm like, there are 30 people out there running steps at the War Memorial at 6.30 in the are morning. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, the War Memorial. Yeah, wow. no, not, not, not soldiers and sailors. Um, every Wednesday, they're out there. There's like a gr- I mean, at least 30 of them. I'd say when it's a little warmer, there's more of them. I'm like, why can't I be them? Or do I, do I want to be them or no? no? Well, not this morning, man. I... Is that healthy? Yes. In this weather, it's healthy? Yeah, I think so. Get your lungs going a little bit. Let me tell you. the yeah, Isn't two PBRs and Kevin, two longs donuts getting your lungs going a little bit? Well, it is. The, the first steps out to the car this morning were very similar to the news that the Colts had traded Stephon Gilmore, and that is that you knew there was the possibility that we were still in winter-type weather. But it's not until you feel 20-degree temperature when you walk out in mid-March that it smacks you and you are awakened into reality. We knew the Colts were further away from competing in the AFC than we wanted. And then they start trading away pieces that I thought played really well for them, and it smacks you in reality. And you tell me if I'm overreacting and I'm going to trust your opinion Kevin Bowen on this pulse on whether or not my reaction to it is again 
way too much hyperbole. Uh, the Colts are in rebuild. This is not retool. This is complete scrap down rebuild. Yeah, I think yesterday was the first admittance from the franchise that the 2023 outlook is pretty bleak. Correct. And when the fran- it's one thing for you and I to do it for three hours, John to do it in the afternoon. It, you know, it's one thing for us outside of that building to admit that when the internal decision makers their actions say those things that's when at least myself jake i pause and think to myself whoa i said it to maddie last night i was like man this is people inside of that building making a move that teams that believe they can win a division and or make a playoff run don't make correct And look at what Dallas did. I mean, Dallas looks at themselves as a team that has a playoff caliber roster, you know, needs a piece or two. And so what do they do? They absorb that nine-ish million from Stephon Gilmore. They trade a day three pick. And now they have one of the best cornerback pairings in the entire NFL. I don't know if we're fully there yet, Jake, but I want to ask Stephen Holder when he joins us eight. But was this like the Karis LeVert trade by the Pacers? And then you're going to have the Sabonis trade. And then you're going to have the Brogdon trade. Is this the first of several? Correct. Well, here's the thing. This is the amazing thing about it, Kevin. The Colts yesterday made a trade of a guy that I thought, to be honest with you, so so yin and yang here, okay, credit where due. Stephon Gilmore was a guy that, that they, I'm not going to say took a flyer on, but that they wanted to see if he still had something left in him. And it was a hell of a sign. He had a great. I, I thought he was really good last year. He was the only closer this team sniffed. And he, correct. And he made plays for them that won them some games. I thought he played really well. But the news of his trade overshadows the fact of what we can now officially say, and that is that the Colts have failed. Failed. That's with a big F. Failed for the what third straight season at the take a shot at a quarterback experiment we know now obviously at least it would seem that one of two things is going to happen they're either going to draft a quarterback or they're freeing up all this money because they're going to go after one I think it's probably the former but Matt Ryan also you know it appears as though going to be they the Colts have not officially said he's released no again four o'clock the new league year begins I think you'll start to see a little bit more official nature to several of these moves but by friday they needed to do this uh but yeah 17.2 million it so, clears up so yeah seventh straight year Jake, i will have give from week one starter and i'm not even saying this sarcastically or flippantly i'll give chris ballard credit man it is so rare that a general manager gets a chance to just can kind of do things on the fly like more than once this is what their second maybe even third rebuild in his era just scrap it it's like it's like legos just tear them all down and and we'll just look and just put them in a big pile and we'll just put it back together again that's where they are and there's only one person that chris ballard has to sell on that vision and that's the owner fans ain't going anywhere People could say all they want. I mean, how many people say, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about not doing my season? You're lying. People come back. They always will. That's sports. 
we'll always talk about it. That's sports. That's the beauty of it. You think we won't see what the Pacers have felt? I mean, the Pacers are one of the worst in the league in attendance right now. You, you don't think we'll see any of that bleed over to the Colts? No. Because the NFL is different? Why? Yeah, it's eight games a year. Because people are terrified. Because people still remember the glory year. People remember like the Manning years, for example, and they're like, man, if they do get it turned around, I don't want to like... Well, first off, what the Colts did that was brilliant, Kevin, is they convinced people there was a waiting list for season tickets and that if you gave yours up, it was going to be forever before you could get them again. So people just keep renewing out of fear of, I, I, I don't want to be... Fear of missing out. FOMO, right? Uh, Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys, a fifth-round pick. That is a late fifth-round pick. The big part of the return for the Colts is the $9.9 million they save. I understand why the Colts did this. I do. You know, I brought up, I thought Gilmore should have been traded the deadline last year. I thought trade deadline, you find a desperate team, try and take advantage of that. I am curious. I, I don't know if this is true. It's a question I'll throw to Stephen Holder here in about an hour. Is this something Stephon Gilmore kind of requested behind the scenes? Yeah, that's entirely possible. Which, you know, again, makes total sense for both parties to do that. Uh, We have a new pass rusher here in Indianapolis. We'll hit on that today. Samson uh, Ebukam comes over from the 49ers. So I would assume that that means Yannick Ngakwe's time here in Indy is indeed over. Is he, uh, you don't need Ngakwe? I was going to say, Mark, I thought maybe that would find its way into the old opener. (laughs) No, that one surprisingly didn't make the cut. Would just bring that up. No. Um, Mm-hmm. Ebukam has been obviously on one of the best defensive lines in football. Um, I think you look at him as babe, probably more of a three-down guy than Ngakwe was. Ngakwe struggled on rundowns. A uh, little bit more of a consistent rusher. Uh, that was, I thought, an issue for Ngakwe at times. Again, I, I felt like you had to do something at edge. Either bring back Ngakwe or make a move. Um, I still don't think this is a guy that you just you know think you're going to get a dozen sacks out of uh, because he's not going to have the defensive player of the year opposite him like he did in San Francisco with Nick Bosa. Um, but I can understand why the Colts made a move of this nature. So a whole lot of free agency stuff to get to today. Obviously, we are one day closer to Indiana and Purdue taking the floor. Purdue will find out their opponent tonight. We saw the uh, play-in get underway last night. Uh, boy, caught the highlights of the end of that Pittsburgh-Mississippi State game. Good finish. 60-59, Pittsburgh advances, and boy, what a look. Mississippi State got a nice look, man. What a look. A corner three from Mississippi State, wide open for the win. Then they get a tip in that is a, I mean, pretty close to point blank. Uh, Chris Hagan's got to be weeping this morning, right? Well, he has to now select one of his other six schools he attended. <laughs> oh, I thought he was moving on to Mississippi State baseball. <laughs> oh, first SEC series of the weekend. Here we go. Probably has. Uh, we have a ton of guests to get to on today's show. Rob Senderoff, head coach of Kent State, going to join us here in about 20 minutes. Stephen Holder, as we mentioned, at 8. Uh, David Paget, the former Louisville interim, also former IEPY assistant, who not only called Kent State's conference championship game, but also um, called a Florida Atlantic game earlier this year, which could be a Purdue opponent in round two. He's going to talk with us at 9, and Rafael Davis at 9.30. I I guess I should have brought this up prior to the show. I almost think for our um, numbers action, you guys think we should take like a handful of YouTubers? That's not a bad call. I mean, think Those, about it. They got, are they are a loyal. They are group. loyal, diehard as they come. Um, some of them are already working right now, so maybe can't call. And with four guests, you think we should throw out five five uh, five numbers to them? 
That's not a bad call. How we work that. Mark, you just want to find five of them, throw their names at us, and we'll ask them for their numbers and we'll hand them out? Sure. Look at Kevin. Going modern. Yeah, a little rogue. Going modern with it. By the way, speaking of... Um, I just don't know how we fit in all these calls. We still you know, got a lot of numbers to give out. Do you know what last night was? Last night was Ryan Bowen's 39th birthday. What did yep. you do to celebrate that? Uh, we went uh, to my parents' house on Sunday. Okay. So, yeah. Which Rosie was very confused when I told her yesterday was Ryan's birthday. She goes, again? She thought Sunday was the birthday since we had the party. She didn't understand that yesterday was his actual well birthday, which to be fair, that's... Wait till next year when he's 40 and you celebrate it six times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, last night at about 8.30, something like that, was when I, it, I was alerted to the fact that even though the scheduled date was today... The new season premiere of Ted Lasso was available on Apple TV. Ooh. Ooh. I didn't know that already. Wow. Okay. Watched so it last night. We've got the final episode of Full Swing, the Netflix PJ Tour documentary, to get to um, at some point. And then it looks like Ted Lasso's got to be next, right? Was well, it you, good? I thought it was great. I, it To me... It picked right up. You, you know, I didn't watch. A lot of times this happens with TV shows that you binge watch, and then you got to wait like eight months for the next season, and you kind of forget. You know, you're like, now who exactly is that again? Or what's the story? Oh, yeah. That happened with me with, with Dead to Me, for example. Um, it picked right up. I mean, it, you knew exactly who the characters are. Um, I will not give any spoilers, but there is a reference to our fine state within the first 10 minutes. Oh, I like it. Yes, there is a reference to... Oh, they talk about Indy 11's stadium proposal? <laughs> but were you interviewed? Uh, Roy Kent actually says he, he had a few choice words about that. That's exactly uh-huh. what it was, yeah. Right. Um, all right, Mark, let's They're do this. Build, uh, I know this is a graveyard. little bit fly by the seat of our pants here, but, you know... YOLO. Give me just one second because I'm writing down the. I, I said first five people to give me a number that we we've, haven't selected. We've already. dropped a YOLO and a FOMO right here in the first. I mean, and, and we didn't even reference last night that CMO was in the NCAA. Our millennial well. audience has got to be just through the roof I mean, right now. Mark, what do we do on this program? We educate and entertain. We also make it hip. That's uh, what we're doing uh, around here. We keep it real. Tonight right? it again, it'll be Texas eh. Southern and Fairly Dickinson. Now, now, hold on. You did it again. Texas who? Southern. Southern. It's Southern. Southern. You're putting the Southern. R. You're saying- <laughs> they will play tonight, 650, 640, something like that. Uh, Purdue will obviously take on the winner of that. And then the late game will be, uh, what, the first time I think we've seen two national champion players coach against each other in the tournament in over a decade. Is that really? right? Steve Alford and Bobby Hurley. Nevada and Arizona State, the nightcap. Uh, you see AP All-American, Zach Eady, unanimous. I was surprised Trace Jackson Davis was not unanimous. Yeah, you would think he would be, right? Uh, Trace Jackson Davis also on the first team. Jake, the last time the state of Indiana has put two guys on the first team? I know this. A.J. Guyton and your boy Luke Herringody? Close. Troy Murphy? Red Rum, Troy Murphy uh, in the year 2000. 99-2000 season. Jalen Wilson, Kansas. Brandon Miller, Alabama. Marcus Sasser from Houston. The others on the first team. Drew Timmy was second team. I think if you want some hope for Indiana, because again, I think Kent State is a really 
tough matchup, frankly. I, I think this is a mid-major team that is going to have little to no fear, but they are very small, and when they played Gonzaga this season, Drew Timmy had his way with them. I know Drew Timmy and Trace Jackson Davis are not the same exact player, but handling a big guy is handling a big guy too. They're to, probably to, more similar than degree. you think, though, right? Yeah, I just think because their footwork around the basket. Stylistically, not... obviously different hands um, from a right hand, left hand standpoint. Um, but I think that would be some good news for Indiana, Indiana on that front. If you want to see the flip side of it, again, we're going to talk to Rob Senderhoff coming up here. Uh, in about 15 minutes, Kent State's best player, Sincere Carey, is like he's their lead guard. He's gets in the lane and not maybe a dead eye three point shooter, but can beat guys off the dribble. Jake brought up yesterday that Kent State had leads in the final three minutes at Houston and at Gonzaga. Sincere Carey, their best player, by far their best player, two of 22 against Houston. And four of fifteen against Gonzaga, so they had leads late in the game in true road games over the number one seed and the number three seed, and the best player was a combined six of thirty-seven in those two games. Right. So what happens if he just, you know, whatever shoots thirty percent, forty percent? That'll be something to keep an eye on coming up late Friday night. By the way, can you tell me what these coaches have in common? Lon Kruger, Rick Pitino. Tubby Smith, Steve Alford. Mark, do you have a guess? No idea. Multiple teams into the tournament, something along those lines? Those are the only four coaches to take five different schools to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I thought those were Bruce. Does it count for Alford if they had the play-in game? Well, for a Notre Dame team that played the play-in game last year, yes. But Notre Dame did validate it with a win then in the big bracket. Um, I thought this was Bruce Weber yesterday. Three time or three different teams he's taken to the Sweet 16. There can't be too many coaches that have done that. Southern Illinois, Illinois. And, That's uh, impressive. Lon Kruger, well, three or, of those guys would have, I guess, right? You guys ready for the uh, numbers? Yes. All right, all right. Yep. Okay. So, so I, this is from the YouTubers, this right? Is from the YouTube chat. I said just give out the first five people to respond with the numbers that they want that we haven't already given away. Okay. Get numbers. So the first one off the board was by Graham Hopkins. He said number seven. So Jake. Graham Hopkins. Graham. It's kind of a localish flavor. You know what's interesting is if you take the seed of this school and the nickname of this school, what you end up with is a lovely Halloween treat. Right? Yeah. Three seed Xavier Musketeers. Sword fight. (laughs) (laughs) Nervous there what that was. Uh, all right, the next one. Okay. Jeremy Black selected 61. 61. Oh, the team that will take on the winner of last night's late game. That will be Tyrese Halliburton's Iowa State Cyclone. It's not a Cyclone Now, you've already used that for yeah, Miami. For Miami yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up. Uh, next after that was Scotty, who selected number 18. Wait, is that Scotty Johnston? No, no. Okay. Mm, Scotty, Scotty, Uh, all I can tell you about this team is, number one, it is in a very underrated city that has a Sierra Nevada brewery in it. Some beautiful views in the city. As well as the unbelievably beautiful Biltmore. And they used to have a 7'5 guy who's like, that was like six years ago. UNC Asheville. UNC Asheville. What's that? When he gets into multiple of the same. Is UNC Asheville the, the Bulldogs? Yes. Okay. 
That's not a bulldog, though. Those are like there are dog. I'm sure there's a bulldog in there. He's probably no. rolling on his belly or something like that. <laughs> He's uh, in there though. Bulldogs more. just chortle. Uh, Tristan Jones. I feel bad for this one. Forty-two. Well, again, there's multiple ways. There to, are multiple ways to, to win. This. That is true. Uh, yeah, Tristan's. Well, I guess he gets, he's got two teams. If you want to look for positives, that's true. Oh uh, yeah, he's got the playing game tonight. So Tristan, who's that get, again, Kevin? Texas Southern against Fairleigh said, Dickinson. Said it correctly that time. <laughs> uh, Texas Southern, Fairleigh Dickinson, and again, Fairleigh Dickinson uh, mostly screwed. But yeah, you could win largest blowout, right? Or. There's never been a 16 seed winner to make a run. UMBC was a 16 seed. Say, say that to the retrievers. Uh, yeah. All right, Mark, one more. And the last one was one, one higher than that was Bill Kirsch, pick number 43. ORU, baby. Never forget Oral Roberts played Memphis one year as a 16 seed. I uh, picked them to beat Memphis. They had a lead at the under four media timeout of the first half, and I literally thought that this was going to be the greatest bracket in the history of brackets. <laughs> I think Memphis went on to win by about 30 that year. Isn't that isn't it something? IPUI's Summit League Conference. When you turn on a game or they flip over to a game and it's midway through the first half or, so, or even maybe early in the second half and like a 16 or 15 seed's got a three-point lead, and you're like – and your brain – like. Everything just starts dancing in your head, right? Oh my gosh, it's gonna be unbelievable! I can't believe it. Like Kansas is going down, and you look later, and you're like, they won by 38. Somebody was making a good point yesterday. I don't know how much stock to put into this, but they think a reason why you do see so many upsets in the tournament: there's longer media timeouts, so longer commercial breaks. Therefore, the mid-major teams that aren't very deep or don't want to play too many guys, they have longer breaks. So if you got six or seven guys, you can rest a little bit in between. Granted, with you know a team like Indiana right now, their rotation's around um, seven. So I guess I think the you know scholarship limitation of years ago. I think they went from you're allowed so many to was it like they went from eighteen to fifteen or fifteen to twelve or some number like that. But but it spread players around where you know every school now, Kevin. Not every, but for the most part, you know. All it takes is one guy to get hot, right? And you get some guy that all of a sudden gets red hot from the outside and puts out a 30-point game, you got a chance. And that's Max Acemus for Oral Roberts. He did it a couple years ago in the COVID tournament, getting them to the Sweet 16. He's still there, and they've got Duke in round one as a 5-12. Again, to update on the Colts free agency front, technically 4 o'clock is when the new league year begins. Um, so that's when you'll see the Colts like officially announce Matt Gay, that signing, a Samson Ebukam as well. Um, so right now they've made four moves. The two outside moves just mentioned right there: Ebukam, a defensive end; Matt Gay, of course, the kicker. The re-signings they've already announced because you can do that because they're your own free agents: Tyquan Lewis and EJ Speed. The guys that they've lost: Stefan Gilmore, Bobby Okereke. Some might say this is not really a loss. Brandon Faison and Matt Ryan. Free agent-wise, I would say of the notable list, you still have Paris Campbell. Again, Yanni Ngakwe, technically, um, you would think the Ebicom signing would mean Ngakwe's gone. And then Rodney McLeod, who was a pretty important safety for you last season. Where do they stand at DB right now? Corner's a big need. And, yeah, you know, it, I mean, it is a good draft for corners based off people that you talk to. Uh, but I think, you know, I... Does the trade of Stephon Gilmore mean Kenny Moore is definitely coming back? Or again, is this the first domino? 
do we see Ryan Kelly next? Do we see Kenny Moore down the road? Uh, but right now, if you are Isaiah Rogers or Dallas Flowers, you see that news yesterday and you see you say, ooh, I like that for my playing time. Yeah, I mean, that's the area. When I saw that Gilmore was out, I'm like, they now did they put themselves in a position where that's they've got to use a lot of draft picks there. Is corner the second round pick? Yeah. I mean, that's... But you need receiver too, though. Kev. Right, and I we'll mean, see if the receiver domino starts to kind of fall a little bit more today. Alan Lazard to the Jets yesterday, Jacoby Myers to the Raiders. Those were the first wide receiver moves. You know, Paris Campbell, I don't think he's on the tier one of free agent wideouts. Maybe he's on the tier two, but I think that'll be something to keep an eye on today. And I am curious this, again, something to ask Stephen Holder coming up at 8 o'clock. Jake, how much is this cap space, which... You know, twenty-seven million you save by cutting Ryan and trading Gilmore. How much of that is for free agency? How much of that is for potentially a quarterback move? And how much of that is just for eh, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman have contract extensions that we need to get done later this year? It's a good question uh, because when when they started. Ryan, you knew was the money they were going to free up. Then the Gilmore thing happens, and you're like, wait a minute, are they making? seismic moves here in, in the form of like uh i mean dare i say a lamar jackson i think people started to think that i don't think that that's going to be the case but i do think that jackson three-year deal he threw out yesterday on twitter himself that's one that again doesn't totally change my thinking but if you're only committing three years would that entice a few more teams as yeah, opposed but... to five or six because for me i don't want to pay him into his 30s which is what five or six would obviously do. So those are all things we can get into later today. Mark, please, one more time. This one for Mr. Gilmore. Yeah. It's a sad on day. His, on his way out, you got to, right? You're quite sad today. I'm pouring out a liter of my Diet Mountain Dew here this morning. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I'll go see if any PBR is left in the fridge, and we'll pour <laughs> one down the drain for that. All right, join us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, 28-6 and six on the year. It's been a hell of a season uh, for the MAC champions. That will be Kent State. Indiana's going to see them coming up Friday night. It is the late tip in Albany. And a man with quite a few ties, not only to the opponent, but to Albany as well. He is the head coach of the Golden Flashes, Rob Senderhoff. Coach, good morning. Great. How are you? We are doing great. Uh, when you saw IU flash up, when you saw Albany flash up, and by the way, you went to Albany, uh, your emotions of seeing, again, a team in a location you've got a lot of connections to. Yeah, the, the emotion was excitement for, for our players' opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, quite honestly, we could have been playing anybody and anywhere, and, and I would have been uh, ecstatic because – when, when you, you're in the Mid-American Conference, it's incredibly, incredibly hard uh, to get to the NCAA tournament. And uh, just so happy for, for my players and, and the community of Kent the University um, and, and, and all the people that will be cheering for us. You know, once you got past coach, and, and we know that obviously you have history having coached at Indiana and, and what took place at the end at Indiana, but once you got over that thought process and then – put the tape in and started watching and analyzing Indiana. This installment of the Hoosiers that Mike Woodson has, what jumps out at you and and what things are going to be a challenge for your players? Yeah, um, obviously, I mean, I'm not the first person to have said this, but, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, you know, I, 
I, I don't get a chance. I, I watch a lot of college basketball, but I don't, you know, I'm not studying teams outside of the conference, basically. And and I, I certainly watch more than my share of Big Ten basketball. But I did not realize just how good he is. I mean, oh, my gosh. Um, so that certainly stood out first is how efficient he is, you know, how athletic he is, uh, how smart a player he is, and, and then how well, you know, from a coaching standpoint, just looking at how well Coach Woodson, you, you know, utilizes his strength as a player. Um, that's what first, you know, stood out. And then the physicality in which they play, obviously playing in the Big Ten, but, you know, also having, you know, Race Thompson, him, uh, Reno, uh, that's a physical, physical team. Trey Galloway is is physical and athletic. Like the the uh, the physicality of which they play, and then lastly, you know the unique talent that Jalen Hood Shapino is. So you look at it and you say, okay, now you, you see why they're a four seed and why they're you know at the top of the Big Ten. Um, and and it's incredibly impressive how 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 they play, Coach. I know they aren't the exact same players, but you know whenever these All American teams are going to be announced, they both will likely be on the first team All American uh, team. Do you draw back on facing Drew Timmy at all earlier this season in the matchup with Trace Jackson Davis again? Different players, but certainly yeah. very productive big guys. Yeah, it's 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 a really. It, I, I'm glad you brought that up because what we tried to do is give our players and as, as we discuss their team you know player comps guys that they would know in, in our league or or that we've played so to me you know trace uh jackson davis is sort of a combination in in my world of drew timmy and our, the best big player in our league names enrique freeman from akron um who's really athletic like traces Drew Timmy's not quite the athlete that Trace is, um, but they're both un- incredibly good players. Uh, Drew Timmy and Trace Jackson Davis are two of the best front court players in the country, and um, certainly having that experience playing against Drew Timmy is, is a good one for us. Unfortunately, we didn't do a good job guarding <laughs> Drew Timmy. Um, so, so you know that that's that. I didn't want to bring him up too much because he he had a dominant game against us. Well, Coach, if you look at, and I know it probably feels at times like five years ago when you start looking during the course of a season back at November and December, and we're now in March, but you know, you had, and a lot's been made of this, close loss to College or Charleston, who's in the tournament, five-point loss to Houston, who's the number one seed, seven-point loss to Gonzaga. Of those games, which one do you now look back on and say, I'm glad we went through that because that's the game our team learned the most? Yeah, honestly, I think it was all of them. You know, I, I think we, we took a trip down to to College of Charleston right before Thanksgiving uh, and, and lost a, a heartbreaking game to them. We missed a shot at the buzzer, and they hit a three with 17 seconds to go to, to take the lead. Um, we then followed it up, and we didn't know at that time just how good College of Charleston was going to be, uh, but we knew they were good. We followed that up by playing Houston, and we led for, you know, we didn't lead for, for a ton of the game, but we led with two minutes to go in the game. 
And our kids showed tremendous, tremendous resiliency in that game because we got down eight and we were struggling to score, which a lot of teams do against Houston. But we kept getting stop after stop after stop and made a couple big plays. And all of a sudden, two minutes to go, we're up a point. Um, and to their credit, you know, their their great players made some huge plays down, down the stretch. Um, so after that, you know, Houston game, I think our players knew, like, they were, they were getting ready to be number one in the country after that game that week. Um, they knew, hey, we, we've got a, a good team. And then we went out to Gonzaga, and in that game we led for, for a majority of the game. And I think after that one, they had won 69. That We were their 69th straight home win at the time. I think it got up to 73 before they finally lost. But I think after that game, like, we, we knew, you know, that, that we were good enough to, to play on this stage that we're going to be on here on Friday. But, again, the Mid-American Conference is such a, such a hard league. Um, and then you've got to play really well, you know, those three games in March uh, up in Cleveland, which is where our tournament is. And – you know, again, to our guys' credit, we lost a game to Ball State late in the season at Ball State, um, and, and Coach Lewis has done a really good job. Another IU person has done a really good job there with his in his first year. But after after that game, we we sort of circled back up and you know sort of recommitted to what we needed to do to be successful, and then we've had a great run uh, since then and. Now we're just excited to be in the tournament. It's going to be Friday night in Albany, Kent State against Indiana. Rob Senderhoff, the head coach of Kent State, joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You've been there since 2011 as the head coach. You look at your team, a lot of veterans from a scoring standpoint. You guys certainly aren't the biggest team in college basketball, but I was talking with some people that watched you play against Ball State this year. You get after people defensively, but you can score. I mean, this is not some slow it down. We want games necessarily into the you know 50s. So for those that haven't seen your team play, Coach, how would you describe your guys' style? Yeah, well, we try to compete. I mean, that's the first thing. Uh, and we are a defensive-oriented team, uh, but we don't play slow. And, and you, you just said that, like, we're not going to walk the ball up the floor Um we are going to try to get out and, and play in, with some pace. Uh, you know, we're, we're not the most skilled team in the world, but we have a number of guys that can make shots. And, and you know, our four-man can shoot it. Uh, Myron Thomas, you know, obviously sincere carry our point guard. You know, he's a scorer, playmaker type guy. Um, we, we're not big, but we're physical as well. You know, similar to IU, just not – the size that IU has. Um, and, 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 you know, the biggest thing is our calling card, so to speak, would be on the defensive side of the ball in trying to create turnovers um, and, and flying around on that end of the floor. So, you know, when we're playing a team like Indiana, who, who's as good as they are and as, you know, they, they've got great talent and, and, and a great team, you know, we'll have to find a way to create some turnovers to have a chance to win the game. Um, and that's easier, you know, it's easier said than done. But that's what we'll have to do. And we will have to get out and transition a little bit 
and um, and see if we can can make some shots because I think you know from the from the standpoint of being in the MAC, you know, to have any chance at an upset, you, you got to be able to make some some shots. So we'll have to have some guys step up and make some for us uh, here Friday night to have any opportunity to stay with Indiana. Coach, the reality is that, you know, one of the storylines, and I don't know that it's a major storyline in this matchup, but one of them that that will be mentioned, certainly, I would assume, is the fact that you coached in Indiana with Kelvin Sampson. I I think the fact that you were given, I think it's called a show clause for allegations of NCAA improprieties in Indiana, but were still able to be hired by Kent State probably speaks to the fact that those allegations were a rule that no longer, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, would be a violation today. But our former mutual colleague, Dan Dockich, was very outspoken about your time at Indiana and his criticism of it. What would be your reaction or your commentary, I guess, if you will, about how things happened and ended at Indiana and your overall recollections of your time there? Yeah, it's a fair question from you. And, and you know, I don't want – to me, the tournament shouldn't be about me it should be about my my team and my players, but it, it's certainly a fair question to ask. I, I I think I owned up to all of my mistakes at IU, and you're right. the The rules are no longer rules, but at the time they were, and those are mistakes that I've owned up to, and and I still do to this day. I accept responsibility for what what I did, um, which was make phone calls that I wasn't supposed to have made. So. I, I take ownership of that. I, I, I'm not going to shy away from that. Um, at, at the same time that I say that, I, I, I'm just thinking like a guy like Jalen Hood Shafino. I think he was three, maybe four, when when that happened. Um, the tournament is about Jalen Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis and Sincere Carey and Malik Jacobs. It, it's really not about Rob Senderoff. I don't think Coach Woodson knows you know he probably knows who I am now because we're playing him but two weeks ago he probably couldn't pick me out of a lineup um and that's okay because I I certainly know him as being a a legendary coach um but you know this isn't about that to me and I I respect that you have to ask the question and and I hope that I'm giving a fair answer to that if that makes sense and um certainly there's some clickbait you know that People want to bring that up, and I get that. But the story of the NCAA tournament is really the story of the players and and the programs and how they get there. And you know, this is the third time Kent State has played Indiana in the NCAA tournament. We've only been in it seven times. Uh, the last time IU won and went to the Final Four, uh, having beat Kent State. Like to me, that's the cooler storyline than you know, 2006 phone calls, in my opinion. You know, one of the things that that jumped out at me, Coach, you're the winningest coach now in Kent State history, if I'm not mistaken. And as I had mentioned, when that all went down, Kent State was the place that gave you that opportunity and, and kind of gave you that chance, that, that second lease, if you will. I would assume that probably the opportunity has come for you to go elsewhere, but is there a loyalty there because of the fact that I would think there would be, you know, Hey, these guys looked out for me when I needed it. There there were people here that I had prior to coming to IU, I had worked at Kent for a number of years 
and there were people here that knew me very well and believed in my character uh, and believed in giving me a second opportunity, which, you know, I, I am forever indebted to those people uh, and appreciative of those people. Uh, they, they know who they are. Um, and when we went to the first NCAA tournament in 2017, that when I was as a coach and won the league in 2015 and now here in 23, like I am incredibly appreciative of what Kent state has afforded me and my family. Um, and, and I feel like I do my best every day to try to justify the decision that, that they made to give me that opportunity. And, and I appreciate you saying it the way you said it too. Coach, last one, and thank you for the time and entertaining all the questions here uh, this morning. When you look at that box score, and, and it's probably going to be the wee hours of Saturday morning as Friday night bleeds into Saturday morning, when you look at that box score right after the final buzzer, what will be, you think, the biggest key if you guys are going to pull off this upset on Friday night? Yeah, pro- probably our ability, if we can guard, like if we can guard and keep them off the free throw line and uh, create some turnovers and uh, you know, and, and make them miss some shots, um, you know, then, then those are the type of opportunities you have to, to spring an upset. If, uh, if, if every time down the floor they're scoring against us because we can't stop them with their physicality and, and skill because they have tremendous skill as well uh, and athleticism, then, then it's going to be tough for us. So, our calling card is defense, so I, I would always look at those those stats to see, hey, if if those things are, are in the low 40s percent-wise and we create a bunch of turnovers, then, you know, the, the NCAA tournament is about those upsets. We certainly believe we, we, we could do it, um, but we also respect the heck out of, out of IU and, and the program and the players. And, and know it's going to be a, a heck of a battle for us, for sure. Well, Coach, we appreciate the time and certainly wish you the best of luck. I know Indiana fans will be pulling for Indiana, but certainly wish you um, the best of luck. And should you pull off the upset, the best of luck in advancing in the NCAA tournament. Safe travels, all right? Great. Thank you, and, and thank you for how you, you handled me personally here today. Stephen Holder joins us on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Of course, you can read Stephen's work at ESPN.com. Stephen, I'll get right to this one for you. Uh, maybe I'm naive. That wouldn't be the first time by any stretch. I was a little surprised by the Stephon Gilmore trade, and then I started to have this thought of this might be proof in the pudding that the Colts are actually stripping this thing down even further than I anticipated. Um, talk me off that ledge. Am I wrong? So I, it, it caused many thoughts in my mind as well. And so, no, you're not wrong. And, and this is one of those instances where I'll say whatever thought you had was probably at some level justified on this one. Now, I think there's, a, there's an explanation here if we want to accept it, that you know, here's a, a veteran player who's in a bad situation. I talked to Gilmore a lot last year. He was not thrilled with the situation. <laughs> Newsflash, right? Uh, a guy who came here with some high hopes and it didn't work out. So, look, I mean, he, he didn't love it, right? There's no question about that. And he doesn't have a lot of time left. Uh, he's going to be 33, I think. So, you know, look, on some level, this may be just kind of doing the guy a solid and saying, hey, 
you got a decent salary this year. Um, so trading you it has some benefit for us, and it, and it also does you a favor by getting you to a team that has some, some postseason hopes, per, perhaps, right? So, so that is one explanation that you can perhaps accept. On the other hand, I think people need to know what the plan is. That's where I'm at right now because this is a less talented team right now. I mean, at the end of the day, the the signing or the expected signing of Samson Abukum, I like that player, but really that's a wash when you think about Yannick Ngakwe probably not coming back. Talking about the, the San Francisco 49ers defensive end who they're going to be bringing in. That's a wash. You couple that with Bobby Okereke, I never expected him to return, but he's gone, right? Then you talk about Gilmore gone, a huge piece on defense last year. And the additions are basically Matt Gay and a replacement for Ngakwe. So the net, the net so far is a negative in terms of talent acquisition. It's a negative right now. And, by the way, also, we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback. At, at best, it's going to be a, a rookie quarterback who is going to need a lot of help around him. So, I don't know, man. I I think I would want to hear, as a Colts fan, I want to know what the plan is and what are you doing here? Where's all this going? Yeah, I'm really curious, Stephen. Like, are they going to be as public about their plan as the Pacers are right now? I mean, the Pacers were, like, very vocal. And, and, you know, I brought it up in the opening hour of, like, Karis LeVert led to Sabonis, led to Brogdon, like, those three separate trades. Like, was the Gilmore move the first of a couple that we see? Maybe not all trades, but maybe, obviously, a cut or two. I, I also had this thought. Again, I thought this is something they could have done last year, the trade deadline, considering the tra- trajectory of the season at that point. Do you think Stephon Gilmore quietly requested to be traded? I wonder. I, I don't know for sure, uh, but I do wonder. I do wonder. I... It, it would not surprise me. Let's put it that way. I cannot put words in his mouth. I don't know, but it would not surprise me, and it would make a lot of sense because that one I did not necessarily see coming. I thought that his salary for the coming year, you know, for for a higher caliber cornerback, I, I think they had a. I think he had a cap number of eleven plus or twelve million. You know, look, that was fine. I thought, yeah, you know, manageable. for what his for his production, I thought that was fine. I thought he was really really good last year like quietly like one of the best players on the team last year no question about it and i know that doesn't sound like much on a four-win team but you talk about consistent and at 32 years old playing 16 games after he had two years of you know real major injury concerns i thought that was a win for the colts and i think he really brought something to the locker room as well so i was i was pretty surprised so I do wonder whether he did come to the team and, and ask to go somewhere else. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, yesterday you could say probably an admittance by the franchise of their 2023 outlook in in one way, which is not something we typically see, certainly from the Colts. Um, you know, opening up the cap space, the $9 million in savings for Gilmore, I think it was 17 on the Matt Ryan front. Stephen, do you view this cap space as like – you know, we need a backup quarterback. We need to make some other moves. We need to make a massive splash at quarterback, i.e. Lamar Jackson. Or do you look at it and say, you know what, we got extensions coming up for Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. We need to clear some space for them. So I I have wondered whether it could be the former, right? And, and the former being, do they have something else 
in mind, right? And, and Lamar Jackson is the thing that comes to mind. Look, I can sit here and I'm welcome. I'm more than happy to have this conversation. I can sit here and make a very compelling case that they should call Lamar Jackson today. Damn it. I think they should absolutely call him. Do I think they're going to have a serious conversation about Lamar Jackson? No. <laughs> what would be the length no. of that contract you would you would offer? So this is the hard part, right? We kicked this around in the media room yesterday, right, when we were talking to the coordinators. And I, I can't remember who said it, but I, I think there was a there was a, a thought that maybe a, a three year one fifty kind of deal could be compelling. I mean, Lamar is what, twenty six? So he could come out of that contract at 29 years old and go make another boatload of money when the salary cap's even higher. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think for him, he has to he has to kind of communicate what he wants and what his priorities are. And this is where I think him not having an agent is problematic. I don't know what the hell he wants. <laughs> I just don't. And and teams kind of don't want to deal with the player. You know, I mean, Baltimore has already had a hard time dealing with him, right? And and teams understand that, and they see it from afar. So, I mean, do they want to engage him? I mean, they might, but I, I certainly don't think it's their preferred way of doing this. I mean, I think he needs an advocate and someone who kind of understands the lay of the land. That has nothing to do with whether I think teams are are kind of operating as a pack here. I, I think they are, and they don't want to to even engage him on a fully guaranteed deal. I, you know, whether you want to call it collusion, that's your choice. But do I think they're working in, in tandem as a collective? A little bit, yeah, sure. But that, but two things can be true at once. And I, I think on the other side of the coin, Lamar is handling this in, in an unwise fashion by going it alone. I think this is too complex and he needs, an, he needs a representative. But anyway, as it relates to the Colts, I just think that's the problem for me is I don't know what he wants. And, and I just think for the Colts, huge guarantees, that's like they're allergic to huge guaranteed money. They just are. It's just not what they do. Stephen, either way, what we know, Stephen Holder's our guest. He's on the Payless Hookers Hotline. He's with ESPN.com, ESPN. Either way, Stephen, what we know now is that, and I think – I think it's seventh straight. We're going to have a seventh straight season with a different quarterback starting on opening day for the Colts. Um, they have tried, you know, they did a test balloon with Phillip Rivers. They thought they had the guy in Carson Wentz. They got Matt Ryan. We saw what happened. Matt Ryan by Friday is probably going to be calling Biff Ward. I. Either way, this seems to be Chris Ballard getting like a third lease on uh, on a rebuild. And I... Look, I don't hate him for it. I, if you can convince the owner to, to give you that kind of leash, good for you. I, don't get me wrong. But is this somewhat unprecedented in the NFL that a guy gets this many chances to get it right? Um, it's it's rare. I'll say that. I mean, I think the, the first rebuild was he didn't have a choice, and I think it was, it was understood. I think that was something that he and Jim Mercer discussed as a condition of him taking the job, right? back in 2017 and he looked at the roster and he said, your team sucks <laughs> and I'm going to tear it down. And Jim Mercy said, okay, yes, sir. Now that was the right thing to do. And, and it had a, a pretty quick turnaround, right? In 2018, obviously they kind of went into a period after Andrew Luck's retirement where no one ever said rebuild. And, and I don't think I would consider it a rebuild, but 
they were trying to do it on the fly, trying to trying to resolve the quarterback situation on the fly, and that's perhaps where the mistake was made. They never got it right. So you had this viable football team with a completely non-viable quarterback situation, and the net effect of that is your team kind of is still not very effective. So I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, is it a third rebuild? Not really, but but it's definitely a, a situation where they haven't really achieved a lot of results in the end, and that's the bottom line. There are circumstances to that. That's true. But maybe that's why this could be kind of a teardown. Maybe that's why. I'm not saying that's where they're going, but I'm just telling you, I think this team's a long way away from being really good next year. I just don't think they're going to have immediate success at quarterback. I think that's just hard to do. And and I think that's going to keep them from being a team that's, that's in contention for the playoffs. I, I don't see it right now. Um, and, and just the other concerns that they had last year, I think, you know, raised the question that, you know, look, I don't think you can consider yourself a, a playoff team. So if they agree on that, maybe they want to take a little bit longer view of this. Look, Chris Ballard was allowed to hire a new head coach who's a young head coach. He's going to have a new head, a new quarterback. I mean, that is those are long-term propositions, right? You're not going to have quick results from that. So if Jim Mercer understands that and is and is willing to be patient, uh, given the circumstances, then maybe this is not a make-or-break year for Chris Ballard. I actually don't think that it is. But I think the fans are impatient, and that's where this is going to be complicated for all parties involved. Steve, I kind of want to expand on that. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here on the Payless Stickers Hotline. And it's probably more of a Jim Mercer thought process, which, you know, sorry that I'm trying to have you do that here on this Wednesday morning, but welcome to our lives. Like, you haven't won a division in eight years. You haven't drafted a quarterback in the first three rounds since luck. Um, you just went 4-12-1 and had one of the most embarrassing seasons in your ownership. Um, you have the fourth overall pick, and there's a chance they might not take a quarterback. Like That is at least being discussed. Or you might have the fourth quarterback choice, depending on what Arizona does with that third pick. Like, Do you think that's something he could accept? I mean, you talk about injecting hope into your fan base, or, or you know, any, or, or just for your franchise, the best path for your franchise. Do you think he could accept that? Like, now nah, we'll just trade back, or we'll take Will Anderson. Well, what do we know about Jim Mercy? He loves him a splash, right? He loves a splashy move. Does any of that sound like splash to you? It doesn't, right? I mean. I don't get splash vibes from any of that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying he's just some kind of idiot and doesn't understand football. He very much understands football, and he can be pragmatic and all of those things, right? But, but we know he's got this he's got this this fan deep down inside him, right? That that in a lot of ways he's a lot like Joe Sixpack. He wants he wants that splash and he wants to feel good about his team. And, and none of that really gives you any of those vibes. And so none of what you outlined, right, as, as a possibility. So I do think there's a, there's a part of him that is probably having a hard time with this. <laughs> you know, even if he thinks they're, they're doing the right thing and he's willing to be patient, both of those things can be true. doesn't mean he's going to love it, you know. And so we'll see. I, I don't know. That's why I'm just telling you that's why – the Lamar Jackson conversation for me, I can't completely dismiss it because 
I mean, what else are you offering? You know, what are you offering people? I mean, if you get the third quarterback, the third best quarterback, I, I mean, it may turn out to be a great move. That may be what sets this thing on the right trajectory in the long term. But we're not going to know that in six months. You know, I don't think we are. I don't, you know, I just, it's very hard to feel good about the Colts today. I just, I don't feel very positive about the trajectory of their team in the near future. I just don't. Steven, I have one last Colts question, and then I do have a college basketball question for you, which I'm sure you can mm. predict. But um, <laughs> in your opinion or your prognostication, what are the next moves here for the Colts? What are we going to see over the next three or four days in terms of other players that all of a sudden I might be getting an alert from Stephen Holder of, hey, this player's just been moved or there's discussion about it? So I, I think from the from a free agency standpoint, my – expectation is you are going to see this is what I, I'm just anticipating this. I think you're going to see some some moves that are oh, that's a nice player, but not things that necessarily really move the needle. You know, I think along the lines of the uh, Beckham, I can't say his name, <laughs> Abukum signing last night, right? I mean, a guy who people say, huh, nice player, but not something where you're going to run out and buy a season ticket, you know? Uh, I think you could see some of those. And, and really what that tells me is they're probably going to tread lightly and not necessarily go all in on, on much of anything right now because their team is in a transitional phase. I don't, I'm starting to think that maybe for them, they don't see this as the time to kind of go big. This is a transitional time. They've got to figure out who they are, what's their identity, and what they're going to be over the coming years. And – you know, when you're in that position, you're not going out and signing, you know, guys to, to 60 and $70 million contracts. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the grand scheme. You know, the, the problem with that is what are you selling your fans? And so I, I think the other guys on the other side of that, you asked me what to anticipate. I, I want to see what, if anything, happens with the likes of Kenny Moore. We know that this was not an ideal situation for him. Uh, he's going to want a new contract. And to do that, he's going to want to be somewhere where he can be productive. This scheme is not that for him. So I think he would be open to moving. We'll have to see whether an opportunity arises. His salary is very much uh, something that can be accommodated by another team. So I think he would be someone with, with decent trade value. Yeah, about $8 million in cap savings if you were to get rid of Kenny Moore. All right, before Jake gives you or wants to know the breakdown of Jim Laranega's Hurricanes, um <laughs> We'll end with this one. Better chance come March 25th, Paris Campbell's on this team or Ryan Kelly? Hmm. Uh, I think... Campbell, a free agent. Kelly, two years left on his deal. Again, cap savings would be actually a little bit more, particularly in 2024, than the Kenny Moore cut. I actually think that... Two things. I think that... Ryan Kelly, I don't think they're as down on Ryan Kelly as people think, even though his name has come up in, in you know, maybe being available for trade. I get why he'd be available, but that also doesn't mean they think he's a terrible player. I actually don't think they're as down on him as people think. However, uh, and, and the, I guess the other side of that is um, I also don't think that the trade value there is, is very high. You know, I, I just don't think you're going to get a ton for him. What's the return on Ryan Kelly? And who's willing to pay that money for a guy coming off a, a poor season, right? So 
I just don't think they can move him. They'd have to cut him, and I, I don't think that really gets you anything. I don't think that nets you anything. At this point, bring him back, see if he can bounce back. Uh, he's healthy as far as I know, and see if you can kind of get some synergy going there with the interior of that offensive line, get him a, a, a more a consistent piece to the right of him and see if they can get the middle of that offensive line going with the new scheme. So I, I think Ryan Kelly, I'm leaning towards saying he's back. Um, Paris Campbell, I think as each day goes by, it becomes more likely because, frankly, the wide receiver market right now is kind of a joke. Um, so his, the team that views him most favorably is this one. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I think right now Ryan Kelly stays, and then Paris Campbell, we'll see because he's out there. We'll have to see what happens with him. Just a quick bit of Colts news uh, being reported that Ashton Doolin has re-signed to the Colts, so they bring back one of their best special teamers and probably a back end of a wide receiver depth piece. So makes sense on that front. Yep, yep. Uh, Steven, before we let you go, for those that don't know, Steven Holder of ESPN, you are a graduate of the University of Miami, mm-hmm. so I would assume that that means maybe peripherally from the basketball standpoint but that you do keep tabs on Miami Athletics there is the chance that Indiana would face Miami in the second round of the NCAA tournament. The Hurricanes open with Drake, Indiana opening, of course, with Kent State. Um, should that matchup come to fruition, what would it look like for Indiana? What is your scouting report on Miami's 2023 basketball team? So I'm ashamed to say I've watched them very little this year. But I, so I'm not going to, I can't give an in-depth scouting report. That's other than scar I just, tissue from the football season? <laughs> just, well, a long, a long uh, off season of Colts football, primarily, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, one that, that seemingly won't end. Well, actually, it won't start. There is no off season. I have not, I have not seen Correct. any light at the end of this tunnel. But anyway, that being said, um, look, they're, they're always, they're always going to be a, you know, tough nose in-your-face defense kind of team, I think take on the, the, the personality of their coach as, as a team should, right? And, you know, Larinaga is intense. You know how he is. Um, the other thing I would say is I'm kind of looking forward to there being a possible matchup with IU because, <laughs> I, look, I have nothing to lose there, right? <laughs> I have nothing to lose. If Miami loses, eh, no sweat off my You know, it's basketball at Miami, right? Now, if IU loses, I will uh, I will probably enjoy uh, IU fans' uh, heads exploding. I won't say anything. I'll just watch and just you know let it play out. But that'll be fun. Steven searching hashtag IUBB on Twitter <laughs> if that right. happens. Yes, Miami. <laughs> right. There you go. Blaring in the holder. You know household. they're German. The Scorpions. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah. Stevens, I'm sure, has seen them in concert quite often there. Uh, Miami Drake, that is 725 on Friday night. So pace yourself on St. Patrick's Day, Stephen. All right. That sounds good, but I I probably won't listen to it. Stephen Holder, (laughs) ESPN.com. Thank you, Stephen. All right, guys. Take care.